Please stand with me in reverence for the reading of the Holy Scripture. <laughs> Good morning, Door of Hope. Today we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 6:12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both, one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him, free from sexual immorality. Every other sin as a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of God. You may be seated. All right. Well, we've been in this series now. This is the fifth week, God of Every Good Thing, and we are, we are shifting into a second part uh, where we're going to consider some of the specific good things around us and how we might engage with them in the day-to-day. -day. And we're starting with the good gifts that come from human embodiment because the rest ultimately stand in relationship to, to this one. Um, but I know when that's... <laughs> That scripture was just read. There was like a number of reactions around the room. For, for example, I, I, I know uh, one that you can't avoid is, oh, great, a pastor is going to talk about sex. Everyone's favorite thing for the pastors to weigh in on. Or maybe I knew that this talk about all this good stuff was, was going to hit a wall somewhere or a limit somewhere. And uh, here it is. Okay, here we're going to talk about maybe, I don't know, you know, Here's Paul going off about how our bodies are gross or weird or to be, you know, diminished or whatever else. Um, but I just, first of all, I'll, I'll diffuse this to say this isn't a sex talk, uh, especially, uh, I'll leave it there. This isn't a sex talk, not really. Um, we should have those because God cares about sex deeply. Um, but I chose this passage uh, to talk very specifically about the very good things of God, namely human embodiment, specifically for, for a number of reasons, but one of them is, is because I feel like this passage is just a textbook example. It's just a textbook example of how radically a close examination of it subverts our surface reading and assumptions. Because even if you affirm and hold to the, you know, sort of historic Christian sexual ethic, which I hope that you do, odds are that you, you come to this passage and you can still just read it with a bit of a groan, sort of like, oh, Paul, come on, man. 
that, that he sounds uptight, that he sounds negative, that he sounds dismissive of the goodness of the human body and sexuality. It's often passages just like this one that was, that was just read for us that give the impression to both believers in Jesus and non-believers alike that the Christian view of the human body is one of suspicion, is one of negativity, or is one of hatred. So I think it's the perfect candidate to sort of come into this subject for, for at least those reasons and, and some more as well. So we're going to look a little bit closer, and I think, I think we all might be surprised by, by the logic of what Paul is arguing here. But before we do that, let's pray one more time and just invite the Spirit's influence here. God, we uh, are treading on holy ground and sensitive ground, um, personal ground, Lord. I just ask that, that God in your generosity and your grace and your mercy and your wisdom that you would just divinely whisper whatever from this text each of us needs to sort of hear and receive in our deepest places just uniquely to each person in this room. Uh, the only thing that gives me confidence to come up here and talk about such things is the belief, Lord, that your spirit is at work before me and within me and through me, despite me, Lord. So I just, I just cling to that, God. I pray that your graciousness and your goodness and your kindness would come through this morning, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to take this passage, uh, and, and, you know, as with many of the texts in this series, we're not necessarily trying to take, um, say everything that there is to say from, from each of these passages, but we've got kind of a specific question in mind as we're coming to them. And I want, I want to kind of consider this question of Paul's vision for the body through, through three lenses that we all find in this text. So the first is this, that Paul's vision of the human body is just saturated in a theology of the dignity of the human body. And you can see these phrases that I've highlighted that all just get at this idea. The body's not meant for sexual immorality, but it's for the Lord. And even maybe more profoundly, the Lord is for the body. Let, let that phrase rest on you. The Lord is for the body. He talks about the resurrection. God raised the Lord and also will raise us up by his power, that your body isn't just something that's with you for a time and then it, it's gone and it's off into nothingness. But since God raised Jesus bodily, he will too raise his followers bodily by his power. He talks about our, our bodies, our physical bodies as members of Christ, the body of Christ himself manifest here on this earth. He goes back to what we've been talking about a lot in this series so far, Genesis 1 and 2, as he says, the two, he quotes, the two will become one flesh. There's this deep spiritual dignity to what happens with our bodies in the sexual act through sex, two becoming one. But even more than that, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He talks about reasons not to commit sexual immorality. For one, it's a sin against his own body, implying that there is something to be cherished and treasured in your physical body. And we'll, we'll pause there. But all of these are just pointing at different sort of biblical theological ideas that I think we need to take a second to consider. The first is something, and I apologize if it sounds like we've just been hammering on this stuff for so long. I just think I just think, in general, Christian theology can just be at such a deficit in some of these things that I just, I think it's okay to keep coming back, you know, several weeks in a row. We are going to tread out into some new territory here soon. But let's go back to the creational design. 
We've, we've looked at it at length over the last few weeks, but I mean, even just, well, let me just say this. What the Bible presents about human nature is very unique and it's very interesting. It's very rich. The Bible says, you go to Genesis 1 and 2, it depicts humanity, humans are depicted as a living soul constituted with both an immaterial or spiritual aspect and a material or bodily impact, uh, aspect that are in unity, that are not meant to be separated. So if you look at Genesis 2, 7, for example, the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground. This is speaking of body, like earthy language. He took the dust of the ground, the stuff of this created world, physical stuff, takes the body, forms him, and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And if you know much, you know, if, certainly if you listen to Tim Mackey in the Bible Project, this is something that he talks about all the time, the breath of God as this metaphor for the spirit of God animating and, and filling and enlivening all that it encounters. So you've got this man formed from dust, but then God breathes, he breathes, he inspires life into this dust-formed thing. And the man became a living creature. Or quite literally, it's the, it's the word uh, nefesh hayah. It's a living soul. So the human is a living soul that has both a material, physical, bodily aspect and an immaterial, spiritual aspect that is not meant to be separated. It's, it's a unified whole that together makes up this living soul. That's what the Bible claims. You can think that's weird, or I don't know, this is a little abstract, but that's, that's what the scriptures claim. The rest of the scriptures bear these ideas out as well. Theologian Sam Alberry writes in his book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, this, reflecting on this idea. He says, in the Bible, our body is not an accessory to who we are. It's a part of who we are. We can't properly understand who we are apart from our body. Your body is not other than you. It is not a receptacle for you. It is you. In the Bible, it's not just that you have a body. You are a body. So from that basic foundation, the Bible then talks about lots of complicated aspects to, to humanity, like their minds, their intellects, their wills, their hearts, their emotions, their physical impulses, their creative impulses, their capacities for various things, family and social identities and relationships, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My professor Gary Brashears would like to say, humans possess a deep complexity of function and relation underneath that basic unity that we talked about earlier. But since humanity is a spiritual, physical unity, we are meant to understand that all of these other aspects that we just mentioned, they involve our whole person, our spirits and our bodies. So your mind is not simply a product of your body, but of your spirit and your body interacting. Your body itself is deeply physical. Your, <laughs> your spirit is expressed in deeply physical ways. Or did I, did I just say that redundantly? Your body's physical, your spirit is bodily, if that makes sense. It's a unity. It's a unity. So what I, want, what I want to emphasize right now is the fact that your body, your body specifically is integral to who you are. And the body's an amazing thing. I just was Googling this. Some of this, this is just off the top of Google, so it's probably wrong, actually. Um, so don't take this to the bank. I know a lot, we have a lot of like medical professionals in our, in our church, so just yell at me if this is way off. It probably is, but I read. Google told me, the Google told me 
that there are around 37 trillion cells in the human body. Huh? Huh? Okay. 37 trillion cells in the human body. Around 100,000 miles of blood vessels. 100,000 miles. Depending on how you count, there are around 79 organs. It goes on and on. It's this wonderfully complex, like intricate, like there's, it, it almost boggles the mind to consider like how rich and deep and profound and complicated the human body is. And we encounter God and the good world that he's made always with and through our bodies, with these bodies. We, we do it through, we, we'd like to talk specifically about encountering the world through our five senses and just think about these. We have eyes giving us the gift of sight, the ability to process light and information that way that somehow gets translated into our brain that makes us able to interact with our world. It, you know, under normal circumstances, it's this wide spectrum of color that we're able to take in and process. Um, we've said this before, but I'll say this for all of these. God didn't just make the world or, or you know, the healthy human eye to just take in one color or two colors or just this, you know, these simple contrasts. He's made this incredible, incredible, like, cascading amount of beauty and complexity by design for us to be able to enjoy. The same goes for the sense of sound through our ears. We don't just hear like a binary on-off kind of a thing. We have this rich, delicate, sensitive uh, system of hearing that enables us to process things like music and the human voice and just from simple like tiny little adjustments in the way people speak, we can like deeply tune in empathetically to how they're feeling. Like it's so complicated and rich. The human tongue, and I know it works with the, the sense of smell as well, but the human tongue has thousands of taste buds. What are those for? To help us richly experience through taste the goodness and the beauty and the diversity that the Lord has baked into the created world. Same goes for the sense of smell, same goes for the sense of touch. These are all gifts from God and the vehicles through which God has made you and me to be able to encounter this wonderful world that he's made around us. You've probably heard this passage read a lot of times. Let's hear it again in this context from Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And he goes on. That's, that's it. That's exactly right. The Lord is like lovingly, nurturingly, from the moment of conception, knitting together, creating this beautiful masterpiece in each and every and every, without distinction, individual person. So just take all this and, and just pause to consider that all of this, all of this is how God intentionally designed humans to be. Physicality isn't an accident. We didn't get bodies because we fell in Genesis 3 and got kicked out of the garden. Now, now they need bodies because they're kind of cut off from, from the good spiritual world. This was how we were designed. Uh, it's, not, it's a feature, not a bug. And listen to this, Genesis 1 uh, in Genesis 1, the embodied humans, embodied physical humans, are declared the pinnacle of God's creation, declared to be very 
good, and their embodiment is the form in which they all carry, we all carry, you all carry the image of God. In his great book, Wonderfully Made, Lutheran theologian John Kleinig writes, from every point of view, each embodied person is the most amazing, visible being on earth. That's what you're meant to see. To be a faithful Christian, you need to come to view every single person that you encounter, that you have the privilege of seeing, as the chief creative display of a loving, beautiful, powerful, wise God. Every person. And there's no person that gets thrown in a different category there. Every single person is one of God's greatest creative acts. Now, we always have to go here. There's also sin. There's also sin. There's also a fall. There is Genesis 3. Human sin brought about the necessity of death, and that's a really complicated reason why. Why did it need to be that way? I think there are good reasons to that. We just don't have time to get all into it today. Um, and with the necessity of death, all kinds of related corruption and frustration that comes with our bodies. Because I know many of us in this room, we've got people that have lost loved ones. We've got people that deal with debilitating illnesses and all kinds of issues. Trouble plagues our bodies. There's no one here that will not at some point witness the extreme failure of your body, some tragically far more early than others. So you have to acknowledge that. All this stuff can be true. And yet, the Bible declares, quite frankly, the corruption of our bodies, the capacity of our bodies now to become sick, to become wounded, and the inevitability of death for every person. These are just realities that have come with the entrance of sin into the world. More than that, the fall brought with it the ability for our flesh, our bodies, to become places that foster and nurture sinful desires. You probably, you know, read this from Paul and you go think, okay, well, there's also this whole thing where Paul talks about the flesh, the flesh as like the part of us that's just sort of constantly at war with God. And that's true. That's a fair way to talk about it. He doesn't mean, though, the physical body as such comprehensively. He means just a one aspect of how our bodies have been corrupted, how our bodies have been given over to things that are contrary to, to our flourishing and the flourishing of those around us. And then more than those things even, there are deep, deep frustrations, things like disabilities that come into the, into the equation as well. I know for some people, even to say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, it butts up against this idea. Well, if God was that involved in the creation of me and my physical body, why did he make me like this? Why did he make me different? Why did he make me to suffer in this way? Why did he not give me ability A, B, or C that my neighbor or my friend or my family member has? far more here than we can competently deal with in just a few minutes or whatever. But I do just want to say this, if, that, if that's you, and that's where your mind and your heart and your spirit goes at first blush hearing these things, I just want you to hear that whatever the world says, God declares your body and you to be of unimaginable dignity and worth. The image of God is never compromised or lost because of any sort of disability or any other, th that no, there is nothing that can remove it from you. 
God's valuing of you is utterly untainted by whatever happens. And I know there's so many questions that come with that, but I just, I just declared that we start there, that we start there. We're going to have more to say about that shortly. So there's the fall. Our bodies are complicated now, I suppose, is what we should say. Our bodies are very, very complicated. They're still good, but they're complicated. But God wasn't done with the human body. He continued to honor and dignify the body throughout human history, throughout redemptive history, culminating in, finally, the incarnation, the incarnation, the enfleshing of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the person Jesus Christ. So God, the Son, enters human flesh to redeem his people. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You, want to t- you can't talk about the dignity of the human body without recognizing God took on this form. The creator God entered the creation and took on a body lived for 30 some years in that body a genuine real human body and then he died then he died but then he was raised in a body once again the resurrection also the incarnation but then the resurrection affirms the importance of the body God's valuing of the body because Jesus didn't come back as a disembodied floaty spirit he came back incarnated in a body and then Finally, the last thing Jesus ever did before his ascension, or what am I trying to say? The last thing the disciples saw was Jesus ascending to heaven. He left them. He said all kinds of things, including that it's, this is better for you because I'm going to send my spirit to indwell you. But he leaves. He ascends to the throne room of God in his body. The image is that Jesus is forever wed to his humanity, and thus he's, he's not just his humanity, but us to humanity at large. He's forever embodied. That's fast. That's a mind-shattering reality that the eternal God will now into eternity future be enfleshed in the person of Jesus. But it's not just that. It's not just that, but we we think of things like Paul again in Philippians chapter 3. He says our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So the hope that you have, whether you know it or not, if you're a Christian, the hope that you have is not to die and for your spirit immaterial to go and be with God, although that is what happens. Today you'll be with me in paradise, Jesus declares to the thief on the cross. But whatever that state looks like, it's, it's a temporary state awaiting the final putting right of all things when what? You will have a body again just like Jesus's glorious body at his resurrection, you too will have a glorious body unstained by all those things that cause our bodies pain, trauma, difficulty, and frustration, and on and on and on death. It's all done. And there's an emotional aspect to this too. I just love in Revelation 21, John's writing about this vision of the final state, the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. the glory of a fully healed, restored, resurrection body and all the pain, the real agonizing pain that comes for all of us as a result of being in these broken bodies, in this broken world, will be, the, the pain will be wiped away finally and completely. It will be comforted, never to be experienced again by our God. That's what the scriptures claim. To sum all this up, I like C.S. Lewis on this. He says this in Mere Christianity. He says, Christianity is almost the one, the only one, is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter is good, that God himself once took on a human body, that one kind of body is going to be given to us even in heaven and is going to be an essential part of our happiness, our beauty, and our energy. That's Christianity. And I do think that it stands a little bit alone in terms of religious scene as well in terms of just the cultural waters that we're swimming in. I don't think we can take these ideas for granted. I believe that we are becoming a body skeptical people in radically new ways in the world that we live in today. One of my favorite thinkers, uh, Christian thinkers, Nancy Piercy, she writes, we tend to think of materialism as a philosophy that places high value on the material world because it claims that matter is all that exists. And that's logical, right? If matter is all that exists, you would think we should value matter, we should take it seriously, so on and so forth. Yet ironically, she goes on, in reality, it places a low value on the material world as purely particles in motion with no higher purpose or meaning. Skipping ahead, she says, is it true that Western culture devalues the body? Don't many people place a ridiculously high value on physical appearance and fitness? Consider the widespread obsessions with diets, exercise, bodybuilding, cosmetics, plastic surgery, Botox, anti-aging treatments, and so on. We are surrounded by photoshopped images presenting unrealistic ideals of the human body, of physical beauty. A Christian college professor once told me, it seems to me that people tend to go in the opposite direction. They make an idol of the body. But to be obsessed by the body does not mean we accept it. The cult of the young body, the veneration of the airbrushed, media-produced body conceals a hatred of real bodies, writes theologian Beth Felker Jones. Cultural practice expresses aversion to the body. I think they're right about that. I think they're right about that. And I think that there are signs all over the place that our culture has an anemic view of the dignity of the body. As Piercy said, some unduly idolize their bodies, while others belittle and denigrate their bodies as too flawed, as disappointing, as spiritually suspicious, as embarrassing, as shameful, as disgusting. There are all kinds of issues with body image and body dysmorphia on the rise. Substance abuse is shrugged aside or embraced wholeheartedly without regard for the short or long-term effects that it has on the body. There's been an unprecedentedly fast rise in a set of gender ideologies that identify healthy bodies as barriers to expressing your authentic identity. 
traumas and abuses from others who don't dignify your body make day-to-day -day embodied reality fraught for so many people. So many of us agonize in our bodies for all kinds of reasons. And that agony will always bring the temptation to disassociate from our bodies. The modern West, more than that, is also turning a dark corner towards the embrace of things like assisted suicide for those who are depressed in their bodies, disabled in their bodies, unproductive in their bodies. There's also the quiet specter of the normalization of pornography that enables anyone at the quick touch of a screen to depersonalize and consume other people's bodies for one's own gratification. Is Christianity really the one with the low view of the body? I beg you to consider. I beg you to consider. Quick pastoral word. If you're struggling in your body, if you are struggling with your, in your body, and I assume to at least some small degree, that's all of us in this room. But I also assume to some of us in this room, to greater and greater and significant and deep and agonizing degrees that there are certainly a non-zero number of us in this room that are feeling that way as well. If you are really struggling in your body, whatever your experience, I want you to know that God sees you and grieves with you and mourns alongside you. He is not indifferent to your pain and he is not far from it. Our God knows because he's, he's the only God that knows what it's like to live in a body and to agonize in a body if the scriptures are true. He knows that embodied life is crushingly difficult for some. I believe he wants to comfort you. I believe he wants the church to be a place where your burdens are genuinely carried with you by your brothers and sisters here. I believe he wants you to know that whatever the years of this life look and feel like, he promises what no one else can, what no one else can, that one day every single tear will be wiped away and any sense of discord or disharmony you feel in your body will be fully, finally, and gloriously healed. If you're struggling, I really hope that, that this is the safest place in the world to share and to be cared for as we try to follow Jesus together. I hope that, and I also know that there is no one safer than Jesus to share these things with. So. Paul's thinking about the body is just saturated. In this theology, the Christian theology, that both the Old and the New Testament theology of the dignity of the body. But there's a second point. These other two are gonna go much faster. The second is that Paul lays all that out, but then his final argument here, his sort of, uh, the sort of final card he plays to really push his argument over the side is something we didn't mention, or we maybe did just briefly in passing, is that Paul's view, his vision of the body acknowledges that God dwells with us in our bodies. 
the dignity of the body is not only related to your being lovingly created to be, or your image bearingness or whatever, but it is radically demonstrated by the fact that bodies, real, fleshy, stinky human bodies, <laughs> speak for myself, pretty stinky, they become temples, temples for God's spirit for all who are in Jesus. The God of the universe and the person of the spirit comes into our bodies with us. And I know we're not super used to temple language in this day and age, but temples were always the unique place that housed the presence of the gods, specifically the, the Christian God, the, the Judeo-Christian God, Yahweh. He made his home in the temple where heaven and earth overlapped. Under the Old Covenant, the, of course, you know this, there were strict, precise rules that governed how his presence in that temple could be approached. That's the whole, you know, go read a lot within the Torah and you'll find all these rules for how to approach the presence of God lightly and carefully because it's dangerous for sinful humanity to come flippantly into the presence of God. But then there was the New Covenant, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus' death. The, the veil is torn at the temple. We just talked about that a few weeks ago. The whole thing is opened up. Jesus was the once-for-all final sacrifice, the once-for-all true and better high priest who made perfect mediation between God and the rest of humanity because no one else could do that. And he, inter he starts this new relationship where we can come freely to the God of the universe and not just into it. We don't need a temple anymore. The great twist of fate on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, is that the Holy Spirit comes to make his home inside you. That glory that could only be approached by one priest, the high priest, on one day of the year now resides in you permanently if you're in Christ. That's the insanity of what Paul is claiming here. And it's not just in you, again, as a spiritual, quote-unquote, spiritual person. It's in your body, your body. This is the nail in the coffin to anyone who assumes that Paul writes what he writes about sex or any of the things he writes about because he hates the physical embodied self. Our imaginations get corrupted and we think that what Paul is really doing here in passages like this is he just doesn't get it. He's just so skeptical of the physical. He just doesn't you know, value bodies the way that we do. No, no. This is not a theology from below. This is a theology from above calling us up into something more beautiful and more true and higher and more dignifying and more safe and more loving and more compassionate, more flourishing. Any command either to do something or to not do something with the human body in the Bible must be recognized as it's driven from a place of the deepest possible honoring and cherishing of the human body on behalf of God. That's number two. Number three. Number three, Paul takes all of this. He takes all of this and, he, and then his vision of the body then demands a response. If all of this is true, and if you become convinced that this is true, if the Spirit of God illumines for you that this is true, there's only one response. Glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your body. And this takes a number of, of forms. 
but the first is just through receiving and enjoying. First, just your body itself. Receive your body. Imperfect though it is, stained though it is, challenging though it is, like understand that you have the ability to process oxygen, to process food, to stand, to sit, or perhaps not. Whatever you can do, whatever you can do in your body, receive it. Receive it as something given to you by him. And not just your body itself, but the experiences, all experiences that come mediated through your body. Whatever senses you do have, any experience you're going to have comes mediated through your body, through those senses, as gifts, as gifts from God. Cherish your embodied reality where you can. I think of my, I, I've mentioned this before, I probably about every four months I get these pretty debilitating uh, ocular migraines where things start to go blurry in my eyes and then, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt, but I'm like, oh, something bad's happening, that, and the blurring goes away and then a just crushing migraine happens that usually requires me to just try to sleep it off. Um, pretty agonizing. I had one on a Sunday morning one time. <laughs> First time that's ever happened. I couldn't read my notes. I think I did this. Um, but I'm always struck by when I'm, when I'm in those migraines, how I just agonize and long to just feel normal. You know, when you feel sick, there's just recognition of how sweet feeling fine really is. And maybe, again, maybe you're in a long season of pain and suffering and whatever. Like, I, I totally recognize there are people for, the, for whom those sweet moments feel few and far between. But in general, I just say there, there is something to that feeling of just longing to, uh, like being able to freshly appreciate what it feels like to just not be in pain, not be in pain. May we seize those moments, friends, for the gifts that they are. May we seize them for the gifts that we are. May those be moments where we can turn our gaze to God in praise for how sweet that can be when we do experience it. Remember that there is no other self than your embodied self. Your spiritual life is deeply physical, and your physical life is deeply spiritual. You only have one unified life, friends. Just remember that. Honor it. Receive it. Enjoy it to the extent that you can. There's a flip side in honoring God with your body, and this is, flows right out of what Paul's saying here. Uh, to avoid sex in a certain context because it's not good for your body or for the other person. It, it confuses the meaning of what your body is for, and that is we can honor God in our body through denying our bodies. We, we are to become the kinds of people who will say no to things that dishonor or harm our own bodies or the bodies of someone else. Self-discipline is, of course, a major feature of discipling after Jesus. You find it time and time again. It's not just because the body's bad, but it's because there are certain things, there are certain things God calls us to do or to not do because he understands what it is for you to flourish better than you do. And there are times when we don't understand why he's calling us to do something or to not do something, and we just trust him. And we pursue him down that road of self-discipline, of choosing not to gratify every possible desire that comes up because some will destroy you. 
some will destroy you. So we can glorify God in our body by denying our bodies, rather some of, some of the impulses that don't lead to health and life abundantly. Third way we can glorify God in our body is just through acting. Live out your vocation and your gifts and the opportunities you have in your body. Do the, everything God calls you to do, he calls you to do in your body. So lean into it. Step out into the world and into the opportunities and things that you've been given. And in doing so, if you do it with a, with a worshipful heart, you honor and you glorify him. Live in a way that communicates what God declares about the goodness of your body. Live in a way that reflects the hope that we have, that our bodies will be with us into eternity. Yes, they'll be changed. Yes, they'll be glorified. Yes, they'll be purified. Yes, they won't look exactly like they do right now. But this stuff, the tomb was empty. Jesus' physical body was taken up and transformed into whatever his new one looked like, and so too will yours. Virtually all theologians agree. Live in this body like you will have it forever, is what I'm trying to say. It's the same logic that applies to how we, how we steward the created world. There's too many Christians who just say, well, all this stuff's going to burn up anyway, so let's just do what we want. That is not how the Bible speaks about creation. It will be taken up, yes, transformed, yes, perfected, yes, glorified. But it is not our trash heap right now. Neither is your body. Neither is your body. Live in a way that reflects the hope that we have, friends. You can also glorify God in your body. I mean, maybe this is what's behind all of these other things, but we'll just put it directly through praising him, through using your body to declare his goodness, to worship him, to pray to him, to pursue him, to love others through him and with him. None of this is done apart from your body. It's, it's all embodied. Use your body to praise and worship and celebrate and respond to our King. There's so much more that we could say about this stuff. I know probably every single thing I said, you, you might have a yes, but, or what about, or and, and that's totally fine. We're a community. Let's keep working these things out together. I know nobody wants to hear me talk for two hours. I definitely don't want to hear me talk for two hours. But I hope, I hope all of us, as we consider the sweep of the biblical story, and even in a passage like this, that on first blush we go, ugh, come on, Paul. Why are you such a joyless slog? We see that what he calls us to is not from below because he's scandalized or hates the human body, but it's from above. That God's vision for you as an embodied person is so much richer and deeper and grander and eternal and beloved than our world will even give us the eyes to see, friends. That's what we want. There's a lot of beautiful truth here, maybe some hard truths here, but it all results in this. Glorify God in your body. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray.